Welcome to The Human Perspective, a podcast with the internationally recognized badass disability rights activist, Judy Human. In this episode, Judy is in conversation with Andrea Dalzell. Andrea is a registered nurse and disability rights influencer. You may know her as The Seated Nurse on Instagram and her website. After graduating nursing school, Andrea interviewed for 76 positions before being offered employment. Once she was finally given the chance, Andrea became the first registered nurse that uses a wheelchair in the state of New York. Much like Judy, who was the first teacher that uses a wheelchair in New York City after being denied her teaching license and winning a lawsuit against the Board of Education in 1970. Andrea and Judy discuss their similar experiences within this episode. They also cover the many roles Andrea plays as a nurse, social media influencer, role model, teacher, athlete, nonprofit founder, and more. As Judy says in this episode, Andrea truly is a nurse plus. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Kylie Miller, and Judy Human. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Human Perspective. And today we have another great guest, and her name is Andrea Dalzell. Andrea Dalzell is from New York. And which borough do you live in now? Brooklyn. All right. (laughs) That's really why we selected her. It was 50% Brooklyn, Brooklyn. You cannot be bad when you're from Brooklyn. But on a serious note, what really attracted me to wanting to have this interview today is Uh, She is a woman of many different talents, and I think you'll find many different things of interest. Anyway, thank you for joining us today, and I know that you're very tired. You just came in from work. Tell us what you do. I am a registered nurse. Uh, I am the first uh, registered nurse to use a wheelchair in the state of New York to get through nursing school particularly. And what's your disability and how long have you had it? I have transverse myelitis. I was diagnosed at the age of five. So if you want to go from my diagnosis date, it would be 30 years that I've been in a chair. Uh, But from the day that I've completely stopped walking, I was 12. So I'm a little bit before 30. (laughs) And where do you work now? So right now I'm working at uh, the Stevenson Family Health Center out in the Bronx. We are a community health center. We are there to serve a community that is pretty much isolated from a lot of major medical centers. And we are the front line to our community, making sure they get the vaccines, making sure they're getting their physical, staying up with their health practices, and just ensuring overall community health. It's something that we kind of shied away from in 2020 with everyone being afraid to seek care. And now we're, we're playing catch up with that and making sure that our patients are still doing well. What is your job title there? I am actually the assistant uh, nurse manager there. And what does that mean? It means that when the manager is not there, I am the boss, which I am the boss right now, being that my manager is away, uh, but she'll be back soon and everything will be in one piece, meaning that I can manage when she's not there. This is not your first job in nursing, right? This is not my first job in nursing. No, I have a long list behind me now after once thinking that it would never happen. Why did you think it wouldn't happen? And what made it happen? So going through nursing school was rather difficult. Not saying that, you know, the curriculum is meant to be easy. It's definitely not. Nursing is one of the hardest curriculums in the world. Uh, and I, I expected that it would be difficult. 
what I didn't anticipate was having to think about accessibility among also being the student, because it's something as a wheelchair user, I'm used to, I've been in hospitals, I've been in clinics. Yes, I know I can get around, you know, the patient perspective is given me say that I can do anything. I know what I can do. And to kind of be told or, or hinted to that I would be unable to be a nurse always kind of played a part in what led up to me actually being a nurse today. Uh, everyone's saying no, and I'm here saying, watch me. Don't decide for me. Let, let's actually try it before you write it off. And that's how I got through nursing school. And at the point in time where I thought after nursing school, I should be able to get a job. I've already proven myself. And that didn't work out. I, I went through so many interviews, so uh, many job descriptions, applications just to get the interviews and then be rejected from a majority of them, mostly clinical rotations that I was trying to get to. And what drove you to want to be a nurse? To be honest, I never considered nursing. A lot of people who are in the nursing profession will tell you that it's always been something that they knew that they were going to do. I kind of fell into it a little bit where I was going to school to become a doctor. My, my undergrad degrees are in biology, neuroscience. You know, I wanted to go to med school. I just audited a class one day. I was able to sit behind and just watch what they're talking about, kind of interrupt a little bit. And I realized I didn't like the medical model. It wasn't for me. I can never be the doctor that says, you're never going to be able to do something again. I'm not going to be able to be solidified in just science because I do have a very faithful background and I don't know how to really separate the two when it comes to molecular science. So knowing that about myself, uh, knowing that my school was also going through a backlog of clinical practices for certain students, I automatically just resigned, went through biology, decided to apply for nursing. I took the exam and it still took me a year to actually put in the application for school. Why? <laughs> Every time I tell that story, I'm like, why did I do that? I did that because I think subconsciously I never saw someone be a nurse in a chair or, you know, you don't, you don't see too many affluent people in the world who are wheelchair users. So you don't really kind of see yourself in that, in that position. So in the back of your mind, you just kind of tuck it away as a dream that may never come true or might come true. And when I finally applied to nursing school and I got the acceptance, I think in that moment, I knew that I was going to be unstoppable. It was like, there's no way someone can deny me now. And if they did, I'm going to fight for everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was the first wheelchair rider uh, to get a license in New York City. So when I heard about your story, I'm like, oh, wow, Brooklyn, Brooklyn again. But this was so many years ago, 1970. And I think for me, similar to you, I expected that there were going to be problems. And when I was denied my license because of medical reasons, I couldn't walk. I think it's one of the most difficult things I ever had to do in my life to really decide that I was going to pursue litigating because 50 years ago, I really did have questions. Well, I've never seen anybody who's used a wheelchair teaching and what if they're right? And what if I don't do a good job? And what will that mean for other people? And on and on. Did you have any of those feelings? So much so. I was the first for my college. I'm the first for my program. What does that mean? Others have been and couldn't complete. And here I am telling them that I can give me the chance. 
and should I mess up, what does that say? And, you know, I kind of crossed bridges with that a little bit where I was actually failing a class. I needed to pass this in order to, to graduate with my nursing degree. And the professors told me to drop. The dean of students asked me to drop. I didn't. I went back to class. And the same day I was called out of class by the president of the program and told to drop the class because had I failed, I would be failing out of the entire program. And she gave me a night to think about it. And I was passing a room where the upperclassmen were there practicing for their exams. And one guy's like, why do you look like that? Wheels, because he knows that I'm always upbeat. And I was like, I need to drop this class and I'm going to fail. And I'm, this is, I'm nursing isn't for me. And he's like, let's calculate your, what your average is and what you need to get on the final. The final is 150 questions. I'm sure we can figure this out. I needed to get at least an 81 on the final to pass the class with an A. So if I had gotten like a 75, I would have passed with like a B minus or, and if I had gotten anything in the sixties, I would have gotten a C, which is failing for nursing. I needed an 81 and for two weeks straight, I studied over 3000 nursing maternity questions and I passed that test with a 93. Wow. And that solidified everything. (laughs) Has your family been supportive of you over the years? A hundred percent. I think that's what makes the difference. At one point in time, I thought I was never going to go back to school. This is back in like 2010, 2011. I was dealing with a lot of health issues. I was like, I'm not going back to school. I'm going to fall right into the trap of social security. It's like, if I don't figure out what I'm going to do, I don't know what's going to happen. And my parents will be like, okay, yeah, go back to school. Whenever you're ready, we'll help you out. Whatever that means. And it wasn't until I met the gentleman out here in New York, George Gallego and Yannick Benjamin and Alex. These guys were instrumental in just being a figure to look at, at people who have made something, done something, continue to do something right here in my hometown. So it's like I have the figure that I always thought, maybe not in nursing, but what I wanted to see in general were successful human beings as wheelchair users literally doing what it is that they love doing. I think it's such an important story and it is relevant to people regardless of their age. Um, I think it's particularly important. The younger people can meet other disabled people like themselves who are moving forward in life, successful in what they're interested in doing is so important. And uh, I think it really speaks to the importance of representation in media. So here you are engaged in becoming a nurse and dealing with all that it requires, including having a disability and dealing with these various issues. And then you start becoming an influencer in social media. How did that come about? That kind of just fell onto my lap a little bit. (laughs) I decided to go to a social media influencers workshop. Her name is Katie Duke. I went into this workshop thinking nothing of it, that I was just going to meet this inspiring woman and then how to kind of find some inner self-motivation because she is also a nurse. And at, at that point in time, she was kind of meshing both together. And when I went into that group and I'm like, you know, the disability world knows who I am. They are supportive. They're with me 110% of the time. And the nursing community won't even open the door and say hello. She was like, so ditch the nursing community and go talk to everyone else and use your platform to do it. 
so I just started talking on my platform. She connected me to uh, Cherokee Uniforms, which supported me a thousand percent. They started saying, document every interview that you go on. Make sure that you're using your phone to talk about these interview processes. And at the time, I was already doing that, but I wasn't numbering my interviews. So I went back and started numbering all of my interviews because I had recorded almost all of them. And I knew when I had those interviews and I would talk about, okay, this is interview number 32 and I'm so excited. And I went in and then you would see my reaction afterward, like that I knew the moment that I went into that interview that I was going to be discriminated against, you know, just that look of defeat afterward. And then the next day I'll be like, okay, guys, I'm going to another interview. Here we are again. And just that repetition kind of grew the following. And then last year when George Floyd was killed and the whole Black Lives Matter movement exploded onto like every single continent, I posted a picture on the Brooklyn Bridge and I had a shirt that said worthy. And it was just for that moment in time, like if anyone of any color could be killed, how much are we worth? And at at what expense are we really saying? And it kind of drove a little bit higher. Now everyone's kind of peaking attention to me. And then last year, I won the Craig H. Nielsen Foundation's uh, Visionary Prize Award. And that was all over Good Morning America. And that kind of also ran the ticket where everyone's now paying attention to what I'm saying. Everyone is following me on social media, trying to pique interest on what it means to have a disability and still be a caregiver because it's something that's not been seen. It's not shown anywhere and people are interested and they want to know how and they want to know how they can do it for themselves and just spreading little bits of inspiration like seeds everywhere growing so you're a real role model on a bigger platform i hope so (laughs) i'm sure and you have a following of about thirty thousand now on instagram right yeah so you know you clearly are becoming an influencer and i think you are a broader role model to more and more people outside of Brooklyn, you're kind of like moving wherever because of Instagram and its reach. Uh, What influence do you feel that you're having within the nursing profession and healthcare community? And what additional value do you feel you're giving with the people that you're serving? Obviously you're a nurse, that's your giving, but you're a nurse plus. I love that, I am a nurse plus, okay. So I'm going to take that for sure. But in terms of just nursing and yes, being a caregiver is one thing, but I love this one story where when I was a nursing student, I was helping a colleague. I went into the room of a patient who had just had a stroke and was now hemiplegic. So not using one side of their body. And I did the blood pressure and they started hysterically crying. I said, what's wrong? I'm thinking I'm doing something wrong. I'm hurting this patient. And she just says, I thought my life was over. That's when I knew I was on the right track for nursing in general. Like here, this person is seeing me as now their caregiver, realizing that life doesn't end in the bed that they're in right now. And that person got up and was ready for PT that morning without any other complaints from anyone else going forward for the time that I was going in there. That's just the difference that you can make in someone's life, an impact, being a representation that someone is yearning to see. Every day I go into work and those young kids see someone who is not only capable, but can do because I'm giving them their injections. I'm talking them through it. I'm giving them the stickers at the end while I'm also talking to the parents. 
I'm telling a first time mom that she's doing a great job raising her kid, even though she's there with a bunch of concerns that she's doing something wrong. I'm telling the older person, you know, that they still have so much life to live. They just get to live it. And I don't even have to say anything. I just have to roll in the room. And they automatically know that not only have I been through something, I've overcome something, I have gotten through things, and I am sitting there giving them the care that they're seeking, showing them that life doesn't stop at their diagnosis. So yeah, I am changing that just in the nursing scope. And then on the flip side of that, I'm I'm now making sure that the gatekeepers realize that there's so much more than what they once thought had they just included technology in the very beginning, integrated technology into nursing, understand that there's so much more than just care and hands-on, even more than what the hospital is going to allow them to experience because nursing is not just based in a hospital. And you have to be able to expand in order to teach your your patients, which is what we're founded on. Could you talk a little bit more, please, about nursing is not just in the hospital from a public health perspective? Yeah, so right now we have heard how much public health is impacting our hospital systems. What you don't hear is how much it's also impacting clinics, right? All of these people who were so afraid to go out and get checked last year are now coming into the clinics and they're trying to seek the same help that they were doing two years prior, missing out a whole year of healthcare. We're trying to maintain that stability in the community so that people can show up for work, right? There's so many underlying causes that we care for on an everyday basis that prevent people from actually getting to the door of the hospital or getting them to the door of the hospital should they need it. And what impact do you believe you're having within the profession itself? I think that when nurses see someone and work someone like me, they're more aware of what their own accommodations will be at some point, right? What does that look like for them? It doesn't mean that nursing ends when something happens to their physical body anymore, because that's what it is. Usually nursing nurses are complaining about their back pain. They're complaining about so many different things are on their feet 12 hours a day. I'm on my wheels 12 hours a day and I'm like, okay, I can still go. Let's go. (laughs) Like what's going on? There's different mechanics. I'm showing them how to do different body mechanics just in everyday movement. Okay, no, turn this way, move this leg up and you'll realize that the body will move a little bit easier, right? How do I pull a patient up in bed? Let's put the bed in Trendelenburg and lift the patient to slide upwards and then turn. You know, there's so many different ways that my colleagues are gaining just little light bulbs of information that they've never been able to get before because it's not written into any textbook. So talking about textbooks, are you teaching at all in any nursing classes? So I have some exciting things coming up. I am going to be lecturing to our NurseCon nurses. That is a whole nursing organization. We're having a cruise next year and I will be doing two lectures there. And they are for continuing nursing education credits, as well as I'll be doing the keynote speech for the American Nurses Association chapter of Illinois. So I'm excited for that one. And I've done a couple lectures for some nursing uh, schools in general and continue to do so hopefully in the coming year. Are you finding that some young people disabled and not are talking to you about nursing because, you know, you're a disabled woman, Black disabled woman, you're many, many different things. And each one of those groups, I think, have not been able to make the accomplishments that we want to be able to make as much as we would like. 
So do you find that people are engaging you in discussions about not just healthcare and nursing, but in general, thinking more broadly about their futures? Oh, 100%. I've had people reaching out asking me just the first steps of going back to college or how to even get into college. There's a gap there when we're finished with high school. It's like, what do we do? Normal society is heading on to college now, whereas our, our disabled community is often thinking that higher education is unobtainable. Not everyone is going to be able to afford going into higher education. Not everyone can afford going to even a junior college or a community school, even trade school is not set up for accessibility. So they're considering how they're gonna do this and, and what accommodations look like and how are those questions even asked or answered? Because even though these colleges have accessibility driven offices, the people running them don't have disabilities. So they do not understand what the advocacy really means behind it. So then the students are coming in thinking, okay, I can go to college because I have certain accommodations, not realizing that sometimes your accommodations aren't going to be able to be met. What's going to happen with uh, instructors not providing those accommodations? What does that look like overall for your health? And how do you continue to maintain? And how do you feel good and not have internalized ableism when you can't complete a semester? So you are a role model. You are a nurse. You're a social media influencer. And you're also in sports. How did that happen? Uh, keeping active. So nursing drove me to be boxing all the time to get up my upper body strength. I needed to be able to get through CPR and figure out how to do it while I'm in the seated position. And that started it all off. And now here I am four years later, I'm about to run roll my first marathon. How often are you practicing? I've been doing it intermittently since last year, uh, working on side control, working with my trainer to ensure that I'm not favoring one side over the other. So I'm not burning out my shoulders. Right. So I try to do at least five to 10 miles um, a night dependent, but I'm also pushing as much as that on a regular basis at work. So I just keep moving. Just don't stop. If I can continue to keep moving, then I think I'll be all right. <laughs> November 7th is the marathon, right? Yes, November 7th is coming up. So where do you want to see your life moving forward? Oh, Judy, <laughs> I don't know yet. I am, I'm tired right now. I can tell you that honestly. So I know there's a break coming up at some point. I don't know what that point is just yet because I feel like every time we are ready to take a break, something else magical comes up and you can't say no. So I need to learn how to say no so I can take a break. <laughs> but nursing is central in this future? Nursing is definitely in the future. I do plan on becoming a doctorate of nursing practice. I would love to be able to become board certified so that I can nationally help our community. I can at least do telehealth visits, help people to hold over when they can't get into their doctors, you know, be able to, to maintain a certain level of standard of care that isn't given currently to our community. And it's so desperately needed being that we keep heading in the direction of more and more people becoming disabled and a healthcare system nowhere in the world ready to maintain them. So what are some of the changes that you would like to see made in the healthcare system? Well, for one, language first. I'm very, very tired of the way that disability is perceived 
and the way that it's trained about within our medical textbooks, within our, within our jargon, with how we even document, the way we document influences how society sees people with disabilities. When we say wheelchair bound, <laughs> right? You know that one. But when doctors write wheelchair bound on a piece of paper, that can mean the difference between getting the job and getting social security. <laughs> right? right. Like, yes, in some aspects, we need what we need to survive. And if social security check is what we need, then yes, wheelchair bound is what's going to make you sign off and, and letting me survive, then please, by all means. But at the same time, when you're considering a job, or you want to be active participant, or have us like, you know, feel like you can do something, you go to day camp, and you write down wheelchair bound, and they're like, well, how am I supposed to help you? We, we put a negative connotation on how we, we are portraying our patients. We're saying that they can't do something, not because they haven't tried, not because we haven't given it them the effort. They, they very much can just in a different way. And we need to incorporate technology into how we're writing our notes now. I think this is so very important. Um, the first year I had my second grade class in Brooklyn, they had lost all my records and my kids came and the next day I got my records and there was a little boy in the class who I just thought was so adorable. And he had some issues, but he was a really nice kid. And the only word that his teacher in, in the first grade had written was UGH, U-G-H. And I thought, I am so glad that I didn't see this record before I had my first impressions. And even with all the issues that he had, I would never describe him as UGH. So I agree with you that language is so important, both for the providers and how we see people, but also how people feel they're being treated. What do you want to say to parents of kids who have disabilities? What are some of your words of wisdom? Parenting is multifaceted with someone with a disability. I know parents want to hang on, hold tight, protect, and not let go and do everything for. And to be honest, mom and dad, you got to let go a little bit. You have to. You have to allow someone, your child with their disability, they have to grow to love it. They need to be able to grow and understand it. They need to be able to utilize whatever mobility device they need when they need it. Don't keep saying, well, please let them not use their wheelchair, even though they're tiring out longer. You know, please do not force them to do things that are uncomfortable for their disability, unless it's them moving up in a classroom or learning something new or trying to roll in the mud or play in the dirt or whatever else, just let them live in their disability because they have to face the world and you can't protect them from the world. For younger people and people who are still thinking about their careers or changing their careers, what do you want to tell them about the healthcare field? and why it's something they should pursue? For one, you can do anything. Never allow someone to determine your ability without your voice. Do not settle. Someone can say no 76 times, and it takes that 77 time to get the yes. I know I've been there. I've done it. It is hard. You know, the cheesy saying nothing in life is easy, and it's not going to be worth it if you don't work for it. Well, that's what this is. I am at my victory level where I have said I have gotten to the peak that I thought that I would never be at. And here I am changing minds every single day. Including your own, because now what are you looking for? You're looking to get your doctorate. 
you're looking to the future of what more things can be done. Right. You know, as someone who has a degree also in public health, I think the healthcare profession, quite frankly, like in education, has too few disabled people, um, either with visible disabilities or who discuss their invisible disabilities. And yet, what uh, you and I both know, and everyone really listening to this program, whether you have a disability or not, we have a healthcare system that is not coordinated, that is very dysfunctional, and makes it incredibly difficult for people who need other than once a year healthcare checkups. We're looking at practitioners like yourself. We're looking at people who can work in healthcare policy. And what do you feel that you are adding beyond what we've just been discussing as far as getting people to seriously look at how healthcare is delivered on a day-to-day basis in the clinic that you're currently working in? What value added do you feel you are besides your professional knowledge as a nurse? So just even as my disability you know, my first couple of days on the job, uh, they wanted me to do uh, an accommodations walkthrough. They wanted to make sure that I was able to do my job, uh, reach everything, be able to get the medication and pretty much assess my ability within the workspace and what may have needed to be changed. I didn't ask for this walkthrough, but it was given to me and, and told that it needed to be done in order to solidify my safety in, in that place. So I did it. But in actuality, it came up more problems for their patients than it did for my accommodations. So just even spacing now, when we talk about someone who's coming in as a wheelchair user or a mobility device user, I bring them to the treatment room, which is our biggest room. So they have the room to move around. They have a room to have a caregiver with them and they have the room for the doctor to be in there too, right? We're not subjecting them to some claustrophobic quarters (laughs) that many of us know very well. I'm also starting to think about the fact that when we're writing up their paperwork, have we sent them for therapy? Are we sending them for therapy that's within a hospital or or a teaching facility? That way they are getting the actual training that they need to be productive citizens versus just saying that I can't do it. Are we assessing correctly? And, And now getting the doctors to be involved in how I'm doing my own assessments as a nurse when they're coming in in a walk-in clinic, you know, and talking to someone on a level where they're hearing everyone else around them talk about blood pressure. And I'm here on wheels talking about blood pressure, understanding it from an autonomic dysreflexic point with people with disabilities or spinal cord injury that have that overabundance of pressure that can literally kill them, unfortunately. Right. I get to bring that to the table of someone who has some control over their blood pressure and what that looks like going forward. So to me, it's your personal knowledge, your professional knowledge, and your chutzpah, I think, you know, not only getting your first job after 76 interviews, but clearly you're a proactive person who really is holistic in many ways. Um, could you please tell us about the nonprofit organization you want to set up? Yeah, so I've recently set up the seated position. It is a nonprofit that's built towards having people with any disability get the motivation and the guidance that they need to either pursue higher education or the workforce. There's a lot of different opportunities out here in New York, but what I'm particularly focused on is mostly the accommodational side. 
we don't know how to advocate. We don't know how to put words towards what that accommodation really looks like, whether that's in higher education, as well as within the workforce and what that looks like for the long term for people with any disability. And as long as they're in the workforce and they have a disability, we're looking to make sure that you have the resources you need to be able to stay where you want to be. And where are you getting some of your funding to start this organization? So last year, I I was granted the Craig H. Nielsen Visionary Prize Award. It was a grant that's based basically around people who are shifting the mindsets in the spinal cord injury realm. It's a million dollar grant. And I took that money to create the seated position. Well, congratulations. I want to thank you so very much. I'm very excited to see the results of the marathon. What are you hoping to place? Oh, I'm not even hoping to place. I'm really, I'm really doing this in the hopes that the message is spread. One about the access project, two about me being a seated nurse and three about having a community that should be seen and celebrated just as much as anyone else. Are you going to wear your scrubs? I don't know yet. It's going to be a secret. I don't know. It's going to be cold that day. So we'll see. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I know you came home from work to do this program. We really, really appreciate it and look forward to staying in touch. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to The Human Perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow Judy on Twitter at Judith Human and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective. If you want to find out more information about this episode's guest or resources relating to the discussion, check out the description of this episode or visit judithhuman.com. You can also find a shortened video version of this interview on Judy's YouTube channel, dropping a week after this podcast is published. Otherwise, be sure to check back every other Wednesday for a new podcast episode. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Warren. The outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee.